Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Steve, and say hello to my co-host, Kyle. Say hello, Kyle. Hello, all you Super Bowl fans and Rona spreaders from last night. I wasn't there to catch the Rona. I did watch it, the only NFL game I watched this year. I thought the game was decent. I thought the halftime show was, eh. Um, I think he actually probably would put on a, a probably a, a great concert, but that would just was not the venue. And you don't you don't play nine songs, little snippets of your songs during the halftime show. But I think the halftime show was awful, and whatever act they're going to get at WrestleMania is somehow going to be better than what we saw Sunday. And um. Yeah, like I said, the only game I watch this year, now Tom Brady officially has more Super Bowl rings than any other team in the NFL. Imagine that. And you know where he went to school? Somewhere in California. Michigan. <laughs> yep, he is a uh, Wolverine. And I know that makes you happy. It, so, it does. It's just another reason we're better than Ohio. Hey, I don't claim Ohio. And Tawana, you know, she, my wife, she doesn't care about uh, football. So, um, but anyway, uh, tonight we're going to be discussing something that's only happened to Tom Brady only once or twice that I can think of. You know, we're going to be talking about injuries, and spe- uh, specifically injuries in professional wrestling. And part of that is kind of inspired by recent returns. Uh, what we say recent one was a year ago, but then he got injured again, and he just came back again, talking about Edge, and he came back and went to the Royal Rumble. I don't necessarily agree with it. I'm glad he came back. Glad for him. You know, he wants to end his career in his terms. Christian also came back the other night. But, but we're going to talk about some career-ending injuries, some injuries that just took people out, and then some injuries outside the ring. Legit, And we're talking legitimate injuries. We're not talking – Worked injuries. We're not talking kayfabe injuries. We're talking people actually got hurt. So if anybody ever wants to say this is fake, tell that to the people who get hurt. Okay, and, but before we start, I want to give out our contact and listening information. If anybody who's listening live would like to call in, it's area code 319-527-6089. If you'd like to email us with any questions, any comments, concerns, it's Armchair Booking Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash armchair booking podcast. We're on Twitter at Booking Armchair. You can find us on YouTube, on iHeartRadio, on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. All you have to do is go to any of those and just do a search. Uh, well, the YouTube, we have the link right here on our information page. And last but certainly not least, if you would like to help still with the wrestler Small and Mean Selena Dean with her GoFundMe fundraiser to help with her mom's medical bills, we have the link for that on our information page as well. If you can't find it or if you're having trouble linking to it, just let one of us know, and we will certainly hook you up. I need to get a hold of her and get an update. I haven't actually um, heard anything from her since we actually had her on the show, and I was supposed to go watch her and – uh, the other girls, they were supposed to have a triple threat match, but then the whole card ended up getting canceled. 
Yeah, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of movement with matches in your area. Nope. Uh, I mean, and it's they are having matches somewhere. They're just not having them in whether well, main spot just got yanked out from under them, you know, unexpectedly. And our town here was turning into one of their um, best spots because I mean, they always had a good show. They always had a good performance and the turnout was great. People were getting into it and they were always looking forward to coming out here. And now, you know, it kind of got yanked out from under them too, but I've heard it was, well, they're having soccer tournaments because soccer is kind of a big thing around here. And they also said, well, the health department had to approve it. Whatever. But, so, uh, and also before we start, the wrestling world actually lost someone else over the past week, Kyle. You and I have not. um, You were the first one who told me. And... Uh I do seem to uh, keep up with the wrestler passings, and this is um, someone who is featured in a future podcast episode for us, but the, uh, he was both the natural Butch Reed and Hacksaw Butch Reed um, from Mid-South, WWF, and Jim Crockett Promotions. So what do you remember most about Butch Reed? Uh, with Butch Reed, before he went to the WWF and they dubbed him the natural, he was known as Hacksaw Butch Reed. And he was one of those, he was double tough. I mean, he was jacked to the gills. He looked like what you would think a professional wrestler would look like. And they always had stories about his strength and how he was not he, they said he was a super nice guy but not really somebody you'd want to mess with and you know plus he's over in Florida apparently yeah that's been the running uh joke on some of the Conrad Thompson podcasts i mean they said it tongue in cheek but they also meant it seriously because they had a lot of respect for the man and rightfully so uh, i was not a fan of the the natural gimmick because i thought it was almost kind of insulting and they didn't use him as well as they could have. Did like it, him in WCW, though, with uh, when he and Ron Simmons were a team when they were Doom. Right. And, and that one is my favorite. Being a, a Michigan fan, the Steiners were obviously one of my favorites from WCW and early NWA, late NWA. And when Woman who was Nancy Benoit, when woman came and hired Doom and was their manager, they were the two baddest dudes on the block. And, and I, go ahead. And the only ones I remember to the miracle violence connection, putting it to the Steiners and like beating the snot out of them. I re- I was watching when they had the uh, the match where if they lost they would have to unmask. And apparently I was the last person on the planet who had not figured out who they were yet, except for halfway during the match I figured out Butch Reed was one of them. And then Rick Steiner ran by him and grabbed his mask and pulled it off and verified that. 
I I didn't know this. I, I didn't know who they were, but I was also nine. So I I was I was a baby, and not not following wrestlers at that time. So I didn't know it was Butch Reed or Ron Simmons. Yeah. And, you know, and this is how stupid I am. I had not even given any thought to the fact that they were black. And that actually could have helped me figure out who they were. And I realized that I was like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. Who have I not seen for a while that's black? You know, they was like, wait a minute, Butch Reed, I haven't seen him in a while. And Ron Simmons was still, um, he, he was shooting up the charts, but he had not, uh, this was before he beat Vader for the championship. Yeah, so he wasn't uh, the Ron Simmons uh, singles guy as uh, the champion that he uh, would be later on. Right. And, and so that, that – and then when he took the mask off, I was like, oh, I remember him. Yeah. And, yeah, Ron Simmons, yeah. <laughs> you put him and Butchery together, and, and yeah. I think they could have done more at the team, but at the same time, maybe it was time to split them up when they finally did. And, and that's, a, that's a tough one because when they switched manager to Teddy Long, that didn't seem to go very long at all. Long didn't go long? He didn't go long, long at all. And unlike Retribution – which continues to besmirch my television screen. Doom, not around long enough. Retribution, on way too long. Uh, Butch Reed, I don't think he's in the Hall of Fame, is he? He is not in... He was He was part of that lawsuit. And he, towards the end of his WWF run... Remember, he could have been Intercontinental's champion, but we had enough funny favorites in the Honky Tonk Man. And that put him in in the WWF. But that topic uh, parlays into our first type of injury. And I have to bring this up. Because the amount of wrestlers that have gotten injured due to self-inflicted personal choices. Okay, explain. Well, the first wrestler I had watched um, on ESPN, one of the first ones, was the Freebirds. And Terry Gordy was the big guy of the group. Mm-hmm. And he injured himself basically with an overdose on a flight stand. Uh, was non-responsive on the flight for a significant period of time. And was brought back, but basically at a diminished capacity for the remainder of his life. 
I'm assuming you read Mick Foley's first book. Yes. And the part where he was actually talking about wrestling Terry Gordy over in Japan after that had happened. And he didn't say in the book that he had had an overdose. He had said he had had some kind of accident. Um, But he said that before the match started, he said that Gordy looked at him and he said, this this was probably one of the hardest things Gordy ever had to say. He's like, hey, bro, just help me out there. So, I mean, he knew that he was not the person that he once was. He was um, not the same uh, Bam Bam. And, you know, and that had been hard. It had been hard for his friends to see that too, and especially his family, you know, because he's married and had a kid. His son, does his son still wrestle? No, he he got out. Clan Master J, Little Ray Gordy. Terry Gordy is one, but the list, one of the products from last week's podcast is they had drug stories and a legal substance that was around when you and I were in the military was GHB and that's a state rape drug, but it was commercially available in the late 90s. You listened to Conrad's podcast today, didn't you? With I, Bruce Pritchard? Yeah. <laughs> so did I. The one where they're in Vegas? Well, that, it's been on the Xbox podcast. Uh, it's been on a lot of You Shoot videos. Uh, Just Incredible, Shane Douglas. They used to take a scoop, a cap full of GHB. And that stuff would mess you up. You and I know a mutual person uh, on our shift that got into that. Do we? Yes, we do. Text me. I will. Um, one of the uh, one of the lifters got into that. And would take it to recover and sleep. I think you actually worked with him. Do you remember the guy that arm wrestled and um, flexed his his arm? Yeah, I just got your text. I do not remember that name. And he was arm wrestling one of the guys on the shift at, at, at the second job. Flexed his arm... During during the match, and actually broke his arm. <laughs> Sorry. So he he actually broke his own arm during an arm wrestling match. Wow. And he um, he was a he was a big boy. But it sounds like he's literally made of glass. Oh no, he was huge. But to break so, your own arm during an arm wrestling contest. His his bicep was so big. Like, it, this makes you wish you had photos back then. But his bicep was so big, when he flexed it to start the arm wrestling match, he broke his own And he was on our flight? Because I remember, I remember you you left um, our office and went to work at a different one. 
I believe, before we left uh, there. Yeah, right before you left. Um, I wish I remembered his wife's name because she was on the flight too. But very briefly. Um, yeah, it's like I can only think of one couple off the top of my head, and that definitely but wasn't them. But anyway, this uh, this product, um, countless lives in in wrestling in the late nineties, and it's it's impossible to know uh, how many car accidents, uh, drug dependencies. Anything that this thing brought on, uh, because the other product that they got into for pain relief, and this is a topic in itself, is Domus. What killed Eddie Gilbert? And do you, have you ever had to take a Soma? I have never had to take a Soma, and if a doctor ever prescribed me a Soma, um, and probably because of all the stories that I've read. I think I would be a little hesitant, even though, I mean, I've never been one to abuse any of the medication that I've ever been given. I try to stay away from any narcotic unless it's absolutely uh, necessary. And just because I I don't believe I necessarily have an addictive personality, but then again, I don't know, because I mean, I smoked for a long time. (laughs) I just leave it at that. I mean, now I've actually gone my longest without smoking since I started smoking. But I mean, at one one point I was a borderline alcoholic, and thankfully, you know, being in the Air Force, I never really had the desire to do any drugs. But anyway, when I broke my um, when I shattered my front tooth and a half, um, working that day, the first time I went to the urgent care they gave me a Vicodin the second time when I I don't know if you remember but I broke the front tooth and the tooth was sticking up and like it had inflamed my gums I remember one of the times and I remember you tell you told us like um, I gotta leave and then you open your mouth and I was like oh yeah please Um, so I I went and, um, so they gave me some very hard stuff, but when I got, um, I, when I got out, I went and got a job at a casino in Las Vegas where I enlisted from. And as a joke, because I was a, a weightlifter, um, one of the jobs I was doing in security was taking machines and putting, basically swapping them out because something was suspicious about them. Right. And that's the easiest way to explain it. I didn't know there was a machine to do that. <laughs> that. So I picked the machine up off the ground and put it on a cart to wheel it out. And these things are heavy, and that was a dumb decision. So have you ever had sciatica? 
Not that I can recall. Sciatica is when you inflame the nerve that goes up one of the two butt cheeks. And it, it usually comes out of the disc and a few other things. But um, a, a lot of people, especially in the Air Force, they seem to get it uh, because they they sit a lot. And you have poor posture or whatever. Um, I woke up the day after I did this. And I thought I had sciatica because my butt cheek hurt and I couldn't bend over to tie my shoes. Back injury, they don't believe you. So I went and I got x-rayed and I didn't have any structural issues. And they kept injecting me with cortisone. And I go, this still hurts, and everything you do is actually making it worse, and I don't know why. And I finally left Las Vegas, and I came back to Maryland and got went to a, a detailed doctor for evaluation, and I tore the SI joint in my back. Ow! And they gave me Somas as a muscle relaxer. And that stuff is no joke. I I would take one and, like, I couldn't even keep my eyes open. And and I would be there like Festus. And present but not present. And I had to take it. Well, I didn't have to, but um, because I needed to work to support my family, um, I would take one every night for about two months wow. while while it healed. And it, it actually took uh, six months to completely, like, heal because you're always moving right at that job. Um, it took six months to completely heal. And then two years where I never felt any pain out of it. But I took somas for um for quite quite a while, and the rest are stories. Like I took one or two, not ten. Or what Kurt Angle said he took sixty five a day. Oh, he was doing painkillers. I don't think it was it was necessarily somas taking you know sixty five painkillers um, a day, and. I mean, because you want to talk about injuries. Now, he's known more for the injury he had before he entered professional wrestling. That's when he won the Olympic gold medal for uh, wrestling in the heavyweight division at the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta with a broken freaking neck. And that is an absolute shoot. The man had a cracked vertebrae and won the gold medal. But he actually broke his neck and cracked it again uh, while he was in the um, – I, I don't remember. Do you remember the match that he did it in? So he he broke it in two matches against Brock Lesnar. Okay. Um, so twice against Brock Lesnar and once another time. He's a good example because uh, he, he, he did take Somas. That was the – pain reliever of the time but Shawn Michaels got into Somas 
Mm-hmm. So he's a good example of um, how dangerous this business is. Um, in his case, the injury with the undertaker and the time at home, that probably saved his life. Oh, he admits it. And he said that the addiction, you know, he eventually did get addicted to them. And it was, what was it, his son or his daughter? Um, said something about him sleeping all the time. And that's when he realized he had a problem. And that was also when he became a born-again Christian, I believe. Yeah. So wrestling-wise, if we think about um, injury, just day-to-day wrestling movement, the the damage – performing in a ring does to your body at that time the way to keep up with the schedule was to take somas and you look at the wrestler the wrestler death list how many are related to muscle relaxant overdoses are mixing things with the soma washing them down with beer is something they talked about. Or in some cases, they've taken them so much, even if they didn't necessarily have an overdose one night, they had done so much damage to their body that it was unrecoverable. That's in the case of um, Eddie Guerrero. And I want to say in the case of the British Bulldog as well. Uh, Crash Holly. What? Crash Holly is a good one. He died on a couch. Uh, well, he he actually, he actually took his own life, didn't he? Well, he he overdosed on on a couch, essentially. Right. But mixing that type of drug with alcohol, um, when, when we talk about injuries and things they go through to entertain us, um, the pandemic has probably done wrestlers themselves somewhat of a favor because they're only wrestling once or twice a week. Right. And it's usually just once a week on either Monday night or Friday night. And if they had the pay-per-view, you know, then they might wrestle, uh, you know, twice that week. Or if they have some kind of specialty where they have like a gauntlet match or or something like that. So um, a few AEW with their their dark taping AEW Dark and Dynamite Impact Wrestling um, with their taping schedule doing six weeks of television at a time. I don't know if condensing six weeks of television into like three or six, three or five days, if that's better for the wrestler or not. You know, probably is. It gives them time off to rest, but at the same time, if they're resting but not keeping their workout schedule, that's when they could actually do some damage to themselves when they come back if they're not trying to stay in shape. And at least, you know, they could – 
if they actually had somebody who they could train with and then they could um, do that just to make sure the ring rust doesn't set in. But right now they're not traveling, and which is good, uh, which means it takes it off their their peace of mind as far as, hey, you know, you're actually sleeping in your bed every night. You're not sleeping in a strange hotel. You're not um, on the road. You're not driving 400 miles every day or flying to your next one. So you're not having to go to the airports and, um, you know, but I think the way they don't get a lot of rest and you and I both know if you don't get enough rest, your body is more prone to injury. And these guys and girls, because the way their schedule was, whenever you travel to the next town, you still have to find go, go find a place to work out. Because if you neglect to get your workouts in, well, <laughs> you, you won't be able to maintain um, your muscles. You won't be able to maintain your strength. Or in some people's cases, you won't be able to maintain your cardio. And what, and, and we've had this discussion in previous podcasts with the injuries we're about to talk about the death of the territories. So condensing your, your movements and your travel into regions and now going nationwide, it, it's no wonder and, and almost amazing as sad as that list is of wrestler deaths under 50, that there's not more because of what they did in the eighties in early nineties to keep up with the schedule. Prime examples on the TV screen right now. They have Ric Flair. Yep. Woo. So, um, we, uh, have a bunch of injuries. So with the travel, but some of the ones I'm about to mention here, Steve, so we're transitioning from self-inflicted injury to cope with the business, being away from your family or the pain of performing to things that have actually happened in a match. Oh, let me, let me throw out a few first before, um, before you say yours, even though I'm pretty sure we're going to have some overlap on our lists because that's what we normally do. The first one that comes to mind is Sid Vicious. So that's the most disgusting one on the the list. (laughs) Um, (coughs) Yeah, and that was at the the Sin pay-per-view, wasn't it? So this was uh, WCW Sin, Sid Vicious, who's 6'9", 300 jacked pounds decides he's going to jump off the second rope because someone in WCW Told has the idea that it would be a good move for him. And he lands and shatters his ankle and he basically seismins himself. Oh, he didn't decide to jump off the second rope. Somebody else decided he was going to jump off the second rope. He actually didn't want to do it. Because he's like, I don't do moves like that. And he Planted his left foot wrong when he came down, and and yes, it's it makes you go, gah, 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 you know, when you see it because it's that gross. One I was thinking of the most impactful 
in-ring injury for both of us was Stone Cold Steve Austin, Owen Tombstone, um, Owen Hart with that botched Tombstone sit-out pile driver. That shortened Austin's main event run by at least Oh, very easily. Because even though, yes, he came back, but he was never the same. And he ended up, um, see, that happened in 97. And his final match was at WrestleMania 19. It would have been, what, 2003? 2002, 2003? Uh, let me think. 2000, um, I started thinking when the WrestleManias were. Okay, 15 was in 99, so 17 was in 2001. So, yeah, 19 was in 2003. So, it, so six, think, six years later, he was done. Uh, imagine this scenario. Stone Cold does it again. And instead of losing the title to Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart drops the title to Stone Cold at Survivor Series. On his way out the door. On his way out the door the way it should have been. Well, they, um, I think with Bret Hart, whatever happened to him in WCW, that would have uh, stayed the same. Oh, that question. Yeah. You know, there's, because once he left, I mean, that now he's in WCW and VKM even said they're not going to know how to use you, and he was right. And then he had his own injury when, as the way you like to say, Goldberg kicked his head into the eighth row. Well, that's going to be the next injury I brought up was Goldberg did that sidekick. It gave Bret Hart a concussion, which ended his career, probably caused his stroke. Very, yeah, I could very easily see that. So that that is a uh, a monumental in ring injury because they had just reformed the NWO. Well, NWO two thousand, the silver and black edition, which was probably their best T shirt. Maybe. Um, I mean, I wasn't a big fan of bringing the NWO back. Hold on for a second. Nathan James. Uh, you're, so, you're, want, you're wanting to run in. It didn't happen before the show. It happened during the show. And I, get, I think he forgot I was doing the podcast because he knows not to come in here like that. Anyway, um, with, with Bret Hart getting hurt, you know, unfortunately that was him – him being misused by WCW, and and I think that was kind of a byproduct of that, unfortunately. And Goldberg being uh, still green at the time, because think about it. I mean, Go- when that happened, Goldberg had only been in the industry two years, and he was still hurting. He still hurts people now. And it's not that he's trying to, but he he's just – not good at protecting people, I'm guessing. 
type of intensity, which he is, and put it into a make-believe performance-based industry, it you you have to train so much of the uh, performance and not so much of the Muay Thai and the real. Right. And, and there's a difference between being stiff or snug and being Goldberg. Right. So, but uh, another, well, <clears throat> well, I was going to say another injury, and this one was a few years ago, and this guy is not necessarily a respected person in wrestling. He was over for a while because of charisma, definitely not because of his in-ring skills, but it was Enzo. When he and a big cast were going against uh, the Vaudevillians, good team, good team, dumb name. Man, that was such a dumb name. I, uh, I like the team. I just did, I could not stand the name of you know, the gimmick. But when it wasn't Aiden English, it was the other one, um, Simon Gotch. Simon Gotch, yes. When he threw him and, he, and Enzo was supposed to slide, and instead he misaimed or something and, and hit his head on the bottom rope, which caused it to snap back and hit the mat really hard, and it knocked him out. I mean, like legitimately, I mean, he was out. And they, you know, next thing you know, the referee is throwing up the X's and matches over, get the ambulance out of here. That, as far as uh, pay-per-view that happened on a, on a pay-per-view, Stop. that's the difference between today's generation and years past, where the wrestler's health, how many times, like Kurt Angle just told a story, Brock Lesnar knocked himself out doing the shooting star press at WrestleMania 19. Knocked himself clean cold. Yeah. And they they finished the match. He didn't know what was coming or going. But the Undertaker. Yes, Undertaker, WrestleMania 30 with Brock. Finished the match. Brock had to lead him through it because Undertaker was not loopy. So how how many uh, how many different injuries and, and we see lawsuits about it now are caused because of chair shots and concussions. You don't see chair shots in the WWE any longer, not to the head anyway. Uh, you don't see any head shots there. Um, you will see them, I noticed this the other day, in I think it was Impact. It was either Impact or Ring of Honor that they had uh, some chair shots going on. Actually, it may have also been AEW. A- AEW does do chair shots. Cody brought them back. To the head. Uh, there's no safe way to get hit in the head with the chair. That's why I'm not a fan of the headshots uh, because then you could have another situation like what happened at Royal Rumble 99, 98, the year that it was the I Quit match 
with The Rock and Foley, and The Rock hit him in the head about 13 straight times with the chair. He was only uh, supposed to hit him like once or twice, and he just bam, 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 bam. And, and that was brutal, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That's, Especially when Foley's family was all ringside watching. Right. Now, and it, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, and it actually caused a little bit of a uh, some tension between Foley and The Rock for a while. But anyway, so I got a couple more for you. Um, recently, Tyson Kidd with the Muscle Buster. Uh. Well, I guess you could say fairly recently because that was how many years ago? Like five, maybe? Five or six? Well, thankfully, we don't have an injury to talk about every day. I know. Which that's, I mean, we've had some um, – well, I can't think of any – I know some people are injured. Like, I think Jimmy Uso is injured right now. Which is in me. He, he tore his – ACL, which unfortunately is, you know, a common injury and especially, you know, their profession are prone to it. Uh, speaking of injury, Charlotte, you know, she actually just was recovering um, because she had a, 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 she had a boob rupture and she almost got poisoned because it, the, it was the silicone was actually, or whatever it was, was actually leaking into her body. And that for women with implants, uh, and even dudes with cap implants, because those do exist. Um, very common for those that perform in a athletic capacity like this. How many female wrestlers have gotten enhancements and had to uh, take them out? Uh, China, China was another one. The the effects of performing in the industry. Yep, China's the first one I can think of. And, and although her excessive facial work um, has altered her appearance, Charlotte looks better now than she did uh, pre-rupture. Well, yeah, and, I mean, she's she wasn't ugly before. No, but she looks uh, she looks better now. Whereas uh, one that ruptured, uh, yeah, I don't know if you remember Major Guns. And, I remember the name. Uh, at that point, I wasn't watching. In fact, I want to say at that point, I think I was in Japan, so I wasn't even able to watch WCW, not locally anyway. But you know, here here's a few for you. Um, speaking of enhancements, Paige. Uh, yeah, Paige with her neck. I mean, she's done, and that's a shame. I actually like her neck injury. Uh, well, you know what? I'm not going to say never, because we also didn't think Edge would ever come back either. And nine years later, he went to a different doctor, had some different surgery. And now he's back. And then he got hurt again. But, that's story. but her, her injury, and, and 
that's tough because she's been wrestling. she was wrestling since what? She was thirteen. Twelve, thirteen. Yeah. She she's in her early twenties, but we don't realize she's got ten years of bumps on her on her back, and it hits hits the ground, requires surgery, and takes one shot to. It was a kick from Sasha Banks, and later out she hasn't wrestled since. The doctors won't clear her. And right now, she's not even involved with the WWE because the whole Twitch controversy that was going on with Zelina Vega, also known as Thea Trinidad, uh, Paige was on the side of uh, Zelina. So, yes, so I don't... I'm pretty sure she may be at least temporarily considered persona non grata when it comes to the WWE. But she's also had issues with um, uh, a stalker, over-aggressive fan, her, um, Sonya Deville has had that. And yeah, Sonya Deville, I mean, she basically walked away from wrestling for a little bit until they got that straightened out. But on the on the serious side, we we have a few who have recovered. Um, we can't talk about injuries without mentioning draws. Unfortunately, I mean, you know, it's not just he'll never wrestle again, he's never going to walk again. And he... He um, he was the third road warrior at the time, and if the angles are correct, he was going to be revealed as Hawk's drug dealer. I was watch- It was one of the rare times where I was actually off on a Monday night where I could actually watch uh, Raw <coughs> or Nitro because remember in Maryland, I mean, I was working two jobs for quite a while. And I had the rare Monday night off, and I turned it on, and I had been out of it for so long as far as, like, uh, wrestling. I didn't know that they had had this angle with Hawk, uh, with his addictions being brought to the spotlight. And I didn't realize there for a short while he and Animal had actually grown their hair out, which to me looked weird. And then Hawk, when he was on top of the Titantron, and Animal was standing down below going, Mike, Mike. It's a Joe. You know, they were addressing each other by their first names. And then Draws uh, climbs up there, and it looked like he pushed him off. It did. And I I, I didn't even know who Draws really was. And and they say Draws, but they were calling him Puke. They were, he, yeah, they were calling because he could puke at will, and not a not a skill on most resumes, but sports entertainment, yeah. But you you have draws, who uh, who knows what he would have attained. That's hard to say. I mean, he definitely had the body, and I don't know how his promo skills were. You know, if he was there with Hawk and Animal, he would learn uh, from them pretty well. 
Paul Ellering wasn't in the picture at the time. But, you know, that's another one that, that he could have learned from as far as the promo. I mean, by, that, by the time the injury happened, he was on his own anyway. But that's when he was he was in a match against D'Lo Brown, and it was the ring attire that he was wearing when D'Lo – they had done this that move, the running uh, powerbomb. They had done that move so many times with no problem. And it was just that one time, that slip-up, and it was, you know, when he was wearing like a T-shirt, and D'Lo basically lost grip. The only time it ever happened, and paralyzed him. And, you know, D'Lo is, you know, he's, to this day, I mean, it it's still, you know, one of his worst memories that, of anything he's ever been involved with. You know, because I mean, he wasn't trying to def- wasn't trying to hurt anybody. Definitely was wasn't trying to paralyze anybody. And, and you go um, thinking thinking of draws. Other one, and you may have thought he he was briefly in WWF at the time, but this happened in Japan. And there's a a wrestler named Hayabusa. Do you remember him? I do. Is he the one he um, over in Japan? I don't remember the move, but it ended up breaking his neck right there in the ring, like a like a moonsault. He in '95 he had a match with Bret Hart that was really, really good, and available right now on the WWE Network. Hayabusa was he the guy? He had the <laughs> uh, the Japanese calligraphy uh, written All, on him. Yeah, yeah. All over. He, I, I, I liked him. So he actually breaks his neck in the ring, ends up getting paralyzed, and died uh, a few years later from the injuries. Wow. And and one one we don't think of, uh, here's a, a guy you may not know, but also available on the network. Ricky Steamboat had a son named Richie. Yeah. And Richie was CW in the early, early NXT and hurt his back and can't wrestle now. Has had to change careers. Granted, the body was different than his dad. But the natural baby face elements and the ability to wrestle was the same. That's kind of a career that never got the chance to get started. And that's a shame, too, because I I can't say for sure that he would have actually attained the same a level of stardom his dad did because that's a lot to ask. But I, I agree with you. I mean, I think he actually would have been pretty good. And, and we we go through a few. I'm thinking of him. You can bring up Corey Graves with the concussions, but I didn't like it. <coughs> I was, I was actually either. thinking about that today. But, well, because he's actually – uh, whether you like his commentating or not, I mean, he has actually moved on from that where he was told, look, you know, you're too concussion prone, one more, and we're going to 
stop you from wrestling. And well, one more happened and, you know, but they did keep him around. And I think he's actually kind of proved himself as a commentator or announcer or whatever. I don't, I don't know why they call them announcers because they're not announcing. They're given play by play or color commentary anyway. But I, I'm thinking this one, a few here, uh, before we get into the serious ones, Rick Rude's in-ring career ended with a match with Sting and a misplaced ramp. And he hit his back um, on I want to say the guardrail with Sting, and that ended up being his last match. And he, at that time, in 91, 92, he was WCW International Heavyweight Champion and could have been multiple-time World Heavyweight Champion and possibly even feuded with Rick Blair. And what, what an interesting series that could have been. Oh, I think that would have been something that I would have watched that one for sure. And I think one of the reasons why they didn't really have that, especially well, at least in WCW, when Rude was there, was because they were both heels. And they really didn't have heel versus heel. I mean, they would occasionally, but one of them would always convert, you know, go to the other side and become a face. I can't remember a time, now off the top of my head, where Rude was ever a babyface. Oh, no. He was always a heel, and he was a very good heel, and he was very convincible. Or convincing. Convincible. Yeah, convincing. That setup, when when you have uh, Ric Flair as a baby face, because he, he came back from the WWF and the fans and defeated Vader in their match for the title, um, very easily could have kept Ladies, ladies man face Ric Flair Rick Rude who is also a ladies man set it up with a uh, a woman playing in the crowd and entertained us for six months to a year well I don't know if it, I don't know if something like that would last in six months the whole ladies man thing but they still could have they they still well they they could have started it up. Yeah, started up using that and then gone on for six months. So, and you can't bring up Rick Flair and injuries without bringing up Arn Anderson, because if Arn Anderson doesn't get injured, does what happens to the Horsemen? Horseman with the Ric Flair decapitation in four games. Never should have happened. That was, they killed off the four horsemen. They killed off wrestling in Greensboro. So really, you know, you might as well say in North Carolina. And that never should have happened. So, but is it the horseman when you don't have double A? Mm-hmm. It, it 
it definitely changed the trajectory of the horseman after he got injured. I think leaving Slayer in the Horseman, first of all, you need to have one of the originals. Now, once all of them were no longer wrestling, then, yeah, call it a day with the Horseman. But having Flair there, and you have to have people who have that same work ethic and who are, can be very believable. That's why I think Benoit was a good Horseman. I think Malenko was a good Horseman. Uh, Mongo... <coughs> Your favorite horseman, huh? Uh, well, I mean, I don't have anything against him. I just, I, you know, they didn't mind him. I mean, Flair even said, oh, Mongo, he could hang with us when it came to, like, the partying, like the outside the ring stuff. But Mongo was, was a rookie still. So that part, I, I didn't really see putting him in there. Kurt Henning, uh, I think he would have been a good horseman. But then again, Kurt Henning was – more of a singles guy. Even when they put him with the West Texas Rednecks and they started hating rap and rap is crap, which I'm not going to disagree with them at all on that. And I thought it was a catchy song. You know, but Kurt Hennig, I mean, he had the, the talent. But not having any of the originals in there, that's, that would have done it for me. You know, maybe, maybe okay, I'll, I'll have an exception. If Arn would have stuck around to have been the manager, if he would have now been the J.J. Dillon role. And, and that that should have worked for a year. And Flair kind of being on his own and honestly being used and abused by WCW at that point. There... There was just no recovering from from that. Now he still managed to have a uh, quite impactful, even Hall of Fame career as a backstage uh, producer slash agent, whatever you want to call him. But his actual performance a lot less than than it could have been. Yeah, and you, you you go into some people you mentioned previously to me um, getting to perform a little bit is better than the fate some of our more serious injuries have uh, kind of come on the list and I, I have a few and you mentioned it but Johnny Valentine getting paralyzed in the plane crash with Ric Flair. Yep. And Johnny Valentine, I mean, he never wrestled again. And Ric Flair was told he'd never wrestled again. But he managed to recover because he was also – Johnny Valentine was, what, in his 50s when that happened? Whereas Flair was still in in his mid-20s. So – you know, I think that may have been part of it. May have been how you know they were positioned when the the crash happened. <clears throat> you know, I don't know. I mean, that's that's something only you know, only they know. But but yeah, that plane crash it it ended Johnny Valentine's career. It probably shortened the career of Tim Woods and Flair. He never took 
a back bump the same way ever again because he always after that he always took it on the side instead of a flat back. But as far as things happening outside the ring that ended careers, the one that will always come to my mind is Magnum TA. Well, I was going to save him till the end, but since you went there, without I, I, yeah, that without question. Uh, Max DA in 86 probably the industry as we know it with Magnum and Flair on Magnum and Flair trading the title Crockett could have competed nationally for a much longer period and may have even uh, really challenged the WWF for national supremacy. If this tells you how big wrestling was in North Carolina in 1986, my mom woke me up that morning before I went to school and told me Magnum TA was in a car wreck last night because it was on, it was on the news. And she said, I was like, did he, you know, did it kill him? And she said, no, they had, they didn't say it killed him, but he's in the hospital. You know, he was in a really bad car wreck. And, you know, of course, then later on it came out, you know, he was in his Porsche and he was going way too fast for the, uh, the road conditions because it was raining real bad and he slid and uh, wrapped it around the telephone pole. But one of the things about, wrestlers and especially the ones who really work out and they they maintain uh their um well physicality really i mean they're you know how in shape they are he was in such tremendous shape that it would have probably killed anybody lesser there was nobody because they were building up if you want were we're not a fan of wrestling or maybe don't know the name just look up Magnum T.A. and Tully Blanchard, Magnum T.A. and Nikita Koloff, the tag team of Magnum T.A. and Dusty Rose at the time. He was groomed to be the N.W.A. Hogan or the Jim Crockett version of Hogan. And arguably... um not saying who's enhanced or not, um, a definitely a better wrestler than Hulk Hogan was. Oh, absolutely. When and, Mag when Magnum first went to Crockett from he was, he had come from the mid south, and they had these vignettes. They had one for Magnum. They also had one for the Rock and Roll Express when they came in. But these vignettes all came from matches he was having in mid south. And it was going against guys like Nikolai Volkov and Mr. Wrestling 2 and Kamala. And all. And they were showing these matches. I'm like, man, who is this guy? I can't wait to see him wrestle. And then his first matches in WC, well, Mid-Atlantic and, and Crockett, his first matches were all nine, ten-second squash matches. Right. <laughs> and it's like, okay. And that look um... – Long, long blonde hair, not the bald hair like 
Um, he had a better mustache. Yeah, glorious Tom Selleck mustache, which is where he got the Magnum name. Uh, glorious 80s mustache. And physique-wise, more um, more streamlined than Hogan. Like, Hogan had puffy muscles. And Magnum was definitely more cut and chiseled. Not Luger chiseled, but still impressive. And and especially for that time, um, not larger than life. He seemed like more of a common man. And him and Flair could have traded the title a good ten times. And he probably would have went all the way to the NWO period of wrestling for Crockett or Turner, whatever became World Championship Wrestling. Well, I remember when, think about this. Magnum was signed to Mid-Atlantic at the end of 1984. And he, I mean, he came in. And he actually did wrestle Flair a few times then, but Flair was still a face. And Flair, he was even though Flair was a face in Mid Atlantic anyway, he was wrestling everybody. He gave everybody a title shot. But Magnum, he ended up going after the U.S. title first, which was held by Wahoo McDaniel. And they actually had um, the match when he won the U.S. title from Wahoo with a cage match, and they devoted, I think it was their their worldwide wrestling show to just that match. Unfortunately, I already knew who won because that morning I was at somebody's house who actually had cable because I didn't. Cable actually was not available for us (laughs) where we lived. But I was at somebody's house who had cable, and they were wrestling fans, and they were watching the Superstation, the, uh, the telecast in the morning, and they said, and here's our U.S. champion, Magnum T.A. And I'm like, when did that happen? <laughs> and, you know, uh, and then, of course, it was that night that they showed the match between Magnum and Wahoo. And I'm like, well, I already know who's going to win this. And when one of them after Mags, I want to say it was Inside Wrestling, or maybe in the wrestler, it was one of those. It wasn't Pro Wrestling Illustrated. But one of them came out with their uh, addition, and they had every single uh, wrestling title listed on a page, uh, who held it, when did they win it, who they won it from. And that's pretty neat. So when it came out, I looked, and the date was the exact same as that um, that broadcast. And right. I'm thinking, yeah, that's when I started kind of questioning some things. <laughs> so, um, like. They just found out. But the whole car car crash thing, um, that he married uh, Tully Blanchard's ex-wife. Yes. And became the stepdad to Tessa Blanchard. But you, you bring up Magnum with his car crash, which was speed and weather conditions. 
And you can bring up his wife's ex-husband, and Tully was due to a cocaine usage and got blackballed from wrestling because of it. He's back, what, 30 years after he was over, and he is back, and it's like he didn't miss a, a thing. And he's teaching that. Now, FTR, I mean, they were already good. Now, he's helping them get better. And what um, did you miss with Tully uh, being gone for 30 years? Like, what did he, what could he have contributed to the business? <laughs> Tully, Tully Blanchard was, and I'd probably say he probably still is, a very legitimate athlete, played quarterback at West Texas State, along with uh, Tito Santana. And... And he was a very good quarterback, but unfortunately, Tully, as far as football players go, is considered to be small because he's only like what five eleven, six foot maybe. Yeah, no bigger than six feet. But right, but I mean, he was lighting it up as a quarterback. But he ended up going, you know, when he it became apparent that he was not going to play uh, pro football. He went to the family business because his dad, you know, was Joe Blanchard, a wrestler and a promoter. And, but Tully, the match between him and Magnum at Starcade 85, and that was actually what I was going to point to. That match happened. Magnum wasn't even, he was just shy of beating the company a year when that one happened. When the wreck happened, it was in October of 86. So Magnum had been with the company all of just 22 months, and he had already uh, just set the world on fire because he had the the series with Blanchard, you know, with that uh, with the I Quit match, and then he punched Bob Bob Geigel upside his head and got stripped of the U.S. title, and so that's when he and Nikita had the best of seven seven series at the Great American Bash uh, tour in '86, and of course Nikita won. But Magnum, like you said, was being groomed for the world title. And I want to say it was probably going to be he and Flair at Starcade that year for the world title. But then, of course, the wreck happened. And I will give Dusty some credit as far as, you know, um, knowing what to do in an emergency situation. And that's when they flipped Nikita face. And they became the superpowers, and Nikita went at Flair at Starcade. Right, yeah, but Nikita didn't want to. He he had the sick wife at home, and had had issues where he didn't want to be heavyweight champion. And, and that's a a different issue. That's kind of a couple thing that can talk about, but Magnum TA, as far as injuries, probably the the most relevant to this discussion because of what it did to Crockett Promotions, what eventually was WCW, and Imagine 
and you can say this, eventually if Magnum is a free agent and you get some version of Magnum and Hulk Hogan or Magnum and the Macho Man, which would have been a really good one. Magnum, the working class Magnum TA and the million dollar man Ted DiBiase. That, yeah, because I want to say they probably had some matches in the old Mid-South era because they were both there at the same time. But it all depends on whether DiBiase was a heel or a face at the time because he started out as a face and then he turned heel. So I'd have to see, if, is there any uh, any chance they may have gone against each other? And I know there's there's actually all sorts of wrestling databases online that, that actually have records like that. And, and um, a few others who were injured, um, one who just recently passed away last year, well, a couple years now, Matt Capitelli. And he, he was the Tough Enough winner, Tough Enough 3. They, they got beaten up by uh, Bob Hardcore Hall. Hollywood, yeah. And he was in W and was coming up the ranks. Should have been right behind Lesnar and Orton and all them. And gets injured in a match, goes in for a brain scan, and they find out he's got cancer. And beats it one time, and the second time just turned out to be too much. Well, that's one of the things that I'm really, really hoping that Roman Reigns uh, stays in remission, that I hope his leukemia doesn't come back. Because, yeah, yeah, whatever whatever people's opinion is of Roman Reigns, I mean, I'm, I'm talking more about Joe Anawaii, you know, the actual person, and him having to leave wrestling didn't know when he was going to come back, if he was going to be able to come back. But he did. And they played it right because they didn't have him turn bad all of a sudden because, I mean, nobody wants to boo somebody who has cancer. And they did it good. I mean, and people were cheering and people were cheering him. They didn't try to push him too hard. And then he stepped back again when COVID hit. And I don't think anybody uh, – had a problem with him stepping back because he's more susceptible. And, you know, but yeah, I just, uh, just hope for it, you know, his sake and his family's sake that, that the leukemia stays in remission and just stays away. So two, two more that are kind of bad. Um, and hopefully you remember the name, Chris Candido. <laughs> I do. And, this man had the misfortune, one, well, depending how you look at it, uh, being coupled with Sonny in real life. And two, getting kicked out of WCW because of her drug issues, going into TNA Impact Wrestling, wrestling a match, injuring your ankle, having surgery, and then flying home, developing a blood clot from the flight, and dying 
overnight. Yeah, that was that to me was was kind of come out of nowhere, shocking. Like, do what? And so, what do you mean, Chris Candido was dead? Did he die? What? And I think he definitely had the look. He had, you know, the talent. Um, unfortunately, I think his own personal choice of not necessarily being with Sonny in the beginning, but staying with Sonny, yeah, is what you know kind of hurt his career in the long run. And with her just blatantly, you know, cheating on him, and to the point where Bruce Pritchard has actually talked about it on his podcast. He said, you know, for us, it got to the point where like. Well, you know about it. If you're staying with her, you know, that's that's your problem. We're not going to feel sorry for her anymore. You know, you're making the choice to stay with her. And, and, and didn't they didn't they get married before he died? No. I thought they had gotten married. That which was her issue with his family cuz she didn't get anything when he died. Um they looked at him as less of a human being because his girlfriend was cheating on him and he didn't do anything about it. Right. And it's exiled from WWF and makes a career on the indie, indie scenes for a little while and impact wrestling. And that's his last match of his life. And what was it? it uh, obviously, another preventable thing. The injury in the ring was a freak accident. But the circumstances leading up to what happened to him, were they preventable? And you can't mention preventable deaths and injuries without mentioning my last one, Brian Pillman. Oh. Wow. From your area. But the area I live in. Right. He, um, good career to start off. Baby face is flying Brian develops this loose cannon character, which could have changed the business. It was at least interesting when we were wrestling fans during the NWO period. Gets in his car, doesn't wear a seatbelt, gets in a car accident, and what, ruptures his ankle in 20-something different places? Uh, something like that, yeah. And then develops a really, really bad drug habit. Well, a dependency habit. Yeah. And um, another person taking products. And, and he did basically growth hormone because it enlarges your heart. Um taking growth hormone to get bigger and stronger. And what happens? Um, has a heart attack one day. And 
and essentially dies. And I don't think we saw his full potential. I really don't. Because he he had that desire to just show everybody what he could do because he was always told growing up that he was too small to do a lot of the things that he wanted to do. He wanted to play football. Right, five foot nine of him, five foot ten of him. Hold on. Did play football at five foot nine, a hundred and sixty five pounds in division one football and managed to play on the defensive line at hundred and sixty five pounds. At at University of Miami of Ohio. So uh, imagine that tenacity um, that he could do that at that body weight. And he excelled at it. I mean, he didn't just play it. I mean, he excelled at it. And he ended up playing for the Bengals later on. Uh, I mean, if you notice, I mean, this is all local stuff. I don't think he was drafted, was he? I think he was a walk-on, but he ended up playing with them, and then when he was wrestling, he was wearing the um, tights that were like the Bengals, uh, the orange with the black stripes. So he, he uh, that that loose cannon character that he was developing towards the end, that they could have really went places with that. Oh, I think so. And now, granted, I wasn't – I thought they were kind of went overboard. They kind of crossed some lines when they had him draw the gun. The most famous Roskit ever. Yeah, that one, they just like, okay, you just crossed some boundaries that you shouldn't have even come near. But, but either way, you know, he was – he had joined the Hart Foundation – and because he actually trained some under Stu Hart at the dungeon. And so they welcomed him in. And there is no telling where his career could have gone. And uh, he's so interesting. Uh, and again, this is all based on internet lore, not fact. So there's so many rumor sites that you go places. At one point, they had said he was in the Hart Foundation and they were going to break him off from the Hart Foundation and let him feud with Bret Hart for the title. Those would have been some good matches. And he obviously would have had good matches with Stone Cold after Stone Cold won the title. Um, Just lost opportunity with accidents in in and out of the ring. When when you watch on Monday, well, actually, pretty much wrestling is on every night now, right? Uh, Let's see, Monday Night Raw, Tuesday Night Impact, Wednesday NXT, and AEW. Thursday, I don't know of any. But Friday, SmackDown, Saturday is Ring of Honor. And then su- Sunday, pay-per-views. But... Sunday, a pay-per-view, if, you know, if it happens. And, of course, Saturday, you can also have pay-per-views with AEW. 
and impact, but you, impact. you watch when you watch um wrestling at this point, the the risks that they take with their bodies to entertain us. Well, I have some other injuries I'm gonna bring up since you I'm talking about that with the risk that they put their bodies through. The way it is now, they actually um, the WWE anyway. I'm pretty sure AEW does the same, and I, I don't know about the other two like bigger, I guess, companies. They actually take care of their guys. They won't let them get in the ring. They had them go through doctor screenings before they'll get in the ring with uh, let them get in the ring because of the concussions, because of um, all sorts of other injuries that they may have. And even including right now with COVID, I mean, Keith Lee is now back in the ring because Keith Lee was out in the past few weeks and he missed the pay-per-view. He missed the rumble because uh, he had been exposed to COVID. Now contrast that with even back in the eighties, because you remember I was mentioning about Magnum TA and his car wreck, but how he had come from mid South, you know, less than two years prior, if he had been, it still been in mid South, under Bill Watts, Bill Watts would have probably still expected him to get in the ring. Right. Because that's the way Bill Watts was. Steve, Dr. Death Williams, one of the toughest people ever in wrestling. He was in a match. I want to say it was with Brad Armstrong. And Brad Armstrong threw an elbow. It was pure accident. And it caught Steve Williams above his eye, busted him open. He had to go to the hospital. 108 stitches up there in his eye. And he asked Bill Watts, what do you want me to do? Bill Watts said, I want you to go in there and wrestle. I mean, think about that. The man has 108 stitches up right above his eye. And he wants to go him to go in there into the ring and perform a craft that requires a lot of physical contact. It, it he could have inadvertent uh, strikes, contact to his eye again, could have busted the stitches wide open, could have got badly infected. I mean, I know that sounds, you know, that sounds kind of wuss wuss-ish, you know, kind of whippy, but it's a common thing. Staph infection is one of the things they always have to worry about in wrestling. And with him being susceptible to an infection like that, you know, and they were, he said, no, you're going to go wrestle. Here, I'll, I'll pay you instead of, you know, $50 tonight, I'll pay you 75 because, you know, you're wrestled with, with stitches. And, and then some of the other ones, like Kerry Von Erich, may have been pushed back to the ring a little too soon by his dad and ended up uh, – he wrestled one match after his unfortunate motorcycle accident. Um and his blood circulation to his foot still was where it needed to be and, and rebroke it, and that's when they ended up having to amputate it. And he ended up wrestling after that with a prosthetic foot, and it was one of the biggest secrets in wrestling. People didn't find out until he died. And would have been – imagine that happening today. That injury would have been the most inspiring thing on television. Well, I can tell you just from uh, reading this book that I just finished reading, should have told you this at the beginning of the broadcast, I bought the book Death of the Territories, and I just finished reading it a few days ago. 
It actually mentioned that about him. Carrie did not want people to know because he was embarrassed. And he he didn't want, you know, people, even if it was like part of my he, he didn't want them grabbing his foot and yanking it, um, yanking the boot off and revealing it because he was embarrassed because, I mean, he was a world-class athlete. He qualified for the Olympics in 1980 as a discus thrower. And unfortunately that's when Jimmy Carter decided we weren't going to go to the Olympics because, you know, you, you go to a war in a country, we won't go to your Olympics. Yeah, you showed them, Jimmy. Let me tell you. Well, I, I relate to that injury more than any uh, because of Kerry Von Erich's philosophy there. Uh, because my son feels the same way with his autism. And we mentioned that because... Um, you're already aware that you're different. Like it's, there are certain things where you're Carrie Von Eric, you're missing a foot. Um, and that was not common in the eighties. Prosthetics were not the most common thing as they are today. Um, but my, my son, he, he despises telling his teachers and classmates that he's been diagnosed with autism, which will help him in school because people treat you different or worse uh, because of it. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a hard thing. That's a different discussion. But with, with injuries, um, if you're injured in wrestling and you tell your promoter at the time, you can't work. Or even now, if you're injured on WWE television and they're trying to do what's best for you, they take you off TV and it affects your push, Right. Or like Daniel Bryan, he had had so many concussions, the doctors would not clear him. And how long was he out? Three years? Three three years before he came back the second time. So why, why would you? Um, I understand the philosophy of a wrestler. There's a weird thing to say because of autism completely related <laughs> the the whole thing um you don't it affects your push you get taken off television it's the best thing for you but you're willing to hurt yourself further to be semi main event or main event to Continue. Imagine, like, your Magnum TA, what they say, he was doing 90 and a 55? Um, something like that, yeah. In slick weather conditions? And he hit a telephone pole. And, and you're either coming back from, it was coming back from an event, right? 
I believe so, yeah. I mean, because it was, it was pretty late at night. So there's, I don't think there was any way he was going to an event. So, had just performed, coming back, probably trying to get home, and 90 miles an hour. Because what? Maybe to spend an extra hour with your family? And... <clears throat> Um, and but not least, and this is an injury because when you talk about some of these wrestlers and stuff that not only are they willing to put their body through, they, they kind of think of more and more ways to uh, hurt themselves in this, in the interest of entertaining the fans. And I got to throw in Mick Foley and this will be the last one that I mentioned because we're coming close to the end and I kind of feel like uh poo. And I know you have to get up pretty early tomorrow, but um, Mick Foley, when the Hell in the Cell match in 1998 at the at the King of the Ring, when the Undertaker, of course, threw him off the legitimate 15 foot high cell, and then Foley went crashing through, and this was unintended when he went crashing through the roof of the cell and landed flat on his back, and that actually could have been worse. Um, but he landed flat on his back in the ring. And then with the thumbtacks, which you could not pay me a million dollars to jump on thumbtacks like that. But the match was over, and Vince went up to him and said, Mick, I appreciate everything you do for the company. Don't ever do that again. Exactly. Yeah, so Vince, he said, I am not going to allow you to do that again. Because if you watch the replay of that match after the first uh, throw, when Undertaker threw him off, and, of course, he landed on the Spanish announce table, when Vince comes out, I mean, you look at his face. I mean, that's a, a that's not Mr. McMahon. That was Vince, the human being, looking out, you know, going, hey, is, you know, my guy hurt? Are we, you know, what do we need to do to take care of him? That type of person. But with Mick Foley, that's not even the most gruesome injury that we can mention. And this is a man who has broken almost every bone in his body. But not everybody can say that they had an ear ripped off during a match. Are their flesh burns where you smell like barbecue on an airplane? Yes. And... And Vader ripping out his ear. Of course, Vader actually had his eye pop out once, and he had to pop it back in, but that's another story. And, but, you know, when we talk about injuries, that's when we talk about Mick Foley. I mean, he is Mr. Injury, and that's why he walks kind of like a cripple now because of everything he put his body through. And it's pretty bad when, when he and his wife are looking at the x-rays of his spine, and Foley is trying to press the doctor. Oh, yeah, it looks like this right here and this vertebrae here and this vertebrae here. And he said, oh, and by the way, why is this one at the bottom, why is that one so discolored? Why is that one white? And the doctor says, Mr. Foley, all of your vertebrae are supposed to be that color. That's the healthy one. Yeah. He said, that's basically, that's the only healthy one you have. And the injuries, and actually, I don't know if you saw this, and I said I was only going to mention one more, but I will have to mention this one. I know you don't do Twitter, but... It has been tweeted in the past day or so, starting with Dustin Rhodes. Uh, Terry Funk is in a bad way right now. 
and he's just in a lot of pain, and and it's all due to, I mean, all the many, many injuries that he had um, across his long career. Well, he he was the originator of the uh, death match and the hard thing. He has uh, lost his wife in the last year. Yep, it was like uh, last year or the year before that. Yep. So, like, he's not dying, but he's not doing his best. And they they do they these athletes they give their their life their physical health for our entertainment. And that's why you should never call it fake. So, I, yeah, I don't know what else to say to to that. Like, I I know they provided any memories during my childhood and young adulthood. Well, since we have probably made this our most depressing podcast ever, let's go ahead and talk about what we're going to do next week. Yeah, maybe on a little bit more happier subject. So next week, go ahead, Kyle. Next week we are talking about wrestling couples. Now I have challenged Mr. Steve to come up with his list of ten. He thinks he can do five. I, I think <laughs> I can do more than five, but I'm saying I think we ought to each have our our personal top fives. So and, I, we'll, I, and we, I mean, we'll talk about other ones, obviously. But I mean, we'll just see. If you come up with twenty, I'll do my best to come up with twenty. So I, I'm I'm going to come up with my list while I'm traveling. Prepare for it. You I are traveling. Gonna, that's right. I think we're going to end up with the same, a pretty similar list of iconic couples, but we will see. And to be for another interesting episode. Sounds good. You know what? I'll come up with 20. I've already taken by some of my head that, um, that you may not have even thought of, and I'm not even going to tell you who they are because, well, I just won't. So, so my number one couple for next week is going to be Hulk Hogan and performance enhancers. I thought you were going to say Billy and Chuck. That's a good one. Ah, all right. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, my friend, um, like I said, we're actually going to cut this short so I can pop some cough medicine and try to get some sleep. And I know you have a very long day ahead of you tomorrow. So I wish you luck with that. And we will be talking throughout the week. All right, man. Feel better. All right. See you, dude. Bye.